at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we once again don't know what Syracuse basketball is week. We do not, although... Not that I... I don't know that we actually did before, but now we're like we're thrown directly back into uh, mayhem after a couple of nice weeks of uh, surging. Agreed. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't know what to think, but I do know what to say, and I will get to that right after I do a first read for our sponsor this week. Uh, Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast is now sponsored by Sports Passport. Um, Dan, if you've ever wondered how many Syracuse games you've been to and how that compares to your friends, or maybe you want to know what SU's record is in games you've attended, uh, now there's an app for that. You can go to sportspassport.com or check out the app on the uh, Apple App Store. It's an easy way to track, chronicle, and relive every game you've attended. So again, you can visit sportspassport.com or go to the App Store, uh, sign up today, and check out um, you know, every game you've been to. And not just for Syracuse games, either. You can check out any game for uh, all the major sports, um, some of the minor league uh, games, too. It's a lot of fun as someone who, uh, who likes to kind of you know, look at stats and numbers like that and just kind of relive all the games I've been to in different sports. It, it's a fun time. I would highly recommend it. Yes, I will definitely be uh, hopping on that so that we can, you know, obviously share ours since we both do a fair amount of things. Indeed, indeed. Um, All right, so getting back to Syracuse basketball, um, I know I wrote a piece the other day that kind of said, you know, has SU flown too close to the sun? And I I don't want to believe that we have and that we're, like, on the descent now, but at the same time, like, there are points to be made on both. On the one hand, Tyus Battle's been injured. Um, Syracuse could have easily won the Louisville game for sure, um, if not for shooting itself in the foot multiple times. Um, on the other, Syracuse also could have lost many of the games leading up to those that game and the game against Pitt. So I'd like to stay optimistic and say SU finishes 2-2, two and two, but I'm also getting a little nervous now that this team might be out of gas after what was a... Uh, a harrowing stretch of uh, of kind of breakneck basketball. Yeah, I'm not going to totally write off uh, SU as like having recollapsed or whatever. I think, um, like you said, the Louisville game was probably one that Syracuse shouldn't have been in as late as it was, and then had a chance to win. Um, Pitt obviously is a team that always does us troubles on the road. Uh, another you know five point loss, and neither of those games were, were absolute blowouts, you know, which has kind of been the case for Syracuse this year in wins and losses. Um, I think the previous five day winning streak probably buys us enough to like keep us in the conversation, and it feels like in all the bracketologies across the internet, we're at least like in the bubble talk, if not in the field, barely. Um, but there's still work to do. I mean, you have two games in Georgia Tech, you have Duke, and you have Louisville. Um, if you split those, uh, easiest path, I guess, is sweeping Georgia Tech, which is not uh, a super easy thing to do since the Yellow Jackets have been kind of feisty this year. 
Um, but if they get if they get two more wins and they have uh, 18 going into the ACC tournament, then I think uh, they probably need to win one or two there. But you know, you're 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 in it. You're right, like in the in the the thick of things at least. Right, and at this point too, like the numbers are starting to match up with with the effort we've seen. Um, obviously, facing Duke and Louisville again will only help the strength of schedule. Georgia Tech's not really a knock on the strength of schedule. I mean, folks have been talking about it in the comments. You look at the numbers. Um, and, you know, Syracuse does stack up well against the, the bubble. I know on SB Nation's bracketology, uh, Chris has kind of spelled out a path in, which includes the first four game against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee is, what, 14-12? Something like that. Yeah, Tennessee's not very I'm, – I'm actually surprised they're, you know, this far into the talks. I know they have the one over Kentucky, which is nice, but, like, 14-12 in the SEC? Yeah, that's uh, – not great but yeah i mean the bubble's been pretty weak and we talked about it last week um that kind of allows a team like syracuse that you know just like last year might have some crappy losses but also has some really nice wins um on the mantle and again you beat georgia tech twice you're probably looking at needing to win at least one more game to feel better on selection sunday if you if you go two and two but one of those wins i mean if one of those wins is at louisville on the road, you could potentially go one and three, but if but that win probably moves you across the line. If you go two and two in one of those wins against Louisville, no doubt. If you if you go two and two and the win is against Duke and at Georgia Tech, maybe I think that that could be enough because you're picking up another road win. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at this, but I think two and two is is kind of the bare minimum, saving some sort of miracle win at louisville um on the 26th yeah i think i think we're kind of you know right in that 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 you know bunch and i think if you get three i think if you if you get three here which assuming you know that's two georgia tech and then one of either duke and louisville then i think we're we're really in in decent shape and you know maybe you still need a win in the acc tournament but you should at least have a decent seed and have a favorable matchup as, as much as there is one in the acc um and then i think you know it, it I feel pretty decent going into Selection Sunday with 19 or 20 wins there. Yeah, I'd agree. I know a lot of folks were saying, too, that, like, uh, that, and this isn't to call out anybody in the comments, just to say that, like, they were saying that, you know, we were too pessimistic and a lot of others were too pessimistic in the fan base. What, what folks need to remember, though, is if we're being included as, like, a maybe a 10 or 11 right now in most brackets, and that's after a two-game losing streak, that also assumes that nothing fishy happens in any of the conference tournaments. I mean, granted, there's not a ton of teams that can jump up and, and, and grab bids, and there's not a lot of, you know, I've looked through bubble watches on a couple different sites. There's not a lot of mid-major teams that can, that can get in a large bid without winning their conference, but there are a few. And, and if you're a 10 or 11, you're petrified of how many of those, those you know, kind of fringe teams um, lose before their conference tournaments wrap up. Um, how many bids they could potentially steal because it could be one of yours if you're in those bottom few lines. Yeah, I mean that's always a, a major concern. One that SU hasn't really had to deal with too much. Although last year, you know, we were cutting it pretty close and and got you know seated a little higher than people expected. But uh, that's always a, a major concern when you're on the bubble because you know you never quite know uh, where a, a bid stealer will come from. Um, like you said, this year it doesn't. There's there's not a lot of obvious ones, but. Uh, definitely something to look out for as we get closer here. Um, as we push towards March, that that's when we start to really pay attention to like the rest of the uh, the landscape. Indeed, indeed. So Dan, looking backwards a little bit, 
Um, what frustrated you the most about the Louisville game? Um, I actually didn't see the entire game live. I've, I've seen, you know, most of it. Uh, just, they, and this happens a lot with this SU team, um, they just couldn't seem to quite get over the hump. Uh, it was, uh, like, you felt like they were, they were always a basket behind and they could never quite make up the difference. Obviously, they, they forced overtime at the end, but um, then, then overtime, they just seems like they, they ran out of steam. But the Syracuse team gets really frustrating because, they look so fluid on offense in moments, and then it seems like at least once per game, um, in this game it was the middle to end of the first half uh, before they started to crawl back, like the offense just totally falls apart. And it's weird, like obviously this isn't like a problem that's unique to Syracuse, but it seems very like uh, way too frequent that the offense just totally loses the fundamentals of, of how it runs and, and the flow it goes to, goes to hell and the passing is just not crisp and lazy and telegraphed. Um, and it just kind of takes over the team, and uh, it feels like, you know, we'd have one or two more wins if not for these, like, five-minute stints where the offense just looks like it just has no idea what it's supposed to be doing. No, completely, and if you look at just the team, I think it's a product of, especially when you had a guy like Tyus Battle who was sick and definitely wasn't 100% in this game, or the pit game in particular, um, when you're relying on Lydon and White and, to a lesser extent, Gillen, um, to be your entire offense, you know, I, I think Thompson kind of gets thrown in that Gillen pile of like sometimes he's hot, sometimes he isn't. Um, that'll happen. You see things stagnate. I mean, you saw the guards basically ignored Lydon in the first half while he was camping out near the paint when he was wide open, even against Louisville Bigs. Then the second half, Lydon tried to, um, you know, facilitate a little bit more, and but then he started hanging around the perimeter too much. Andrew White started getting a little trigger happy. You know, he went seven to twenty-four in the game. And two of fourteen from three. I mean, when SU was still very much, I mean, they 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 made the comeback at the end of the second half. Don't get me wrong, but when they were leading and then down by a basket, you know, the last thing they needed was Andrew White chucking up, you know, these not just threes but but off balance threes, threes that were you know five feet out, just shots that shots didn't make any sense, um, and, and ones that you know could have cost us the the game and regulation but thankfully didn't um it was just kind of petrifying to watch as uh as all the shooters went cold at once and the offense as you said just didn't really know what it was doing it wasn't a uh w- wasn't a very settling thing to watch if you're an su fan um knowing that that louisville isn't the only team with that sort of size that can clog the middle that Yep, was muted. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I haven't done that in a couple weeks. Um, no, I was saying it, it's funny that you uh, you know you bring up the size issue because I think it was the pit game where whoever was on the call brought up Syracuse being the like one of the tallest teams in the country. I'm like, yeah, well, context yeah. is kind of important <laughs> because uh, we have a seven four player who isn't playing. Um, we have a six nine player who plays as sporadically as possible. Uh, you're running basically. Uh, a power forward at center at almost all times now. Like, this Syracuse team does not have a lot of size to go around. It has a lot of size, like, on the roster that's printed out and given out. But, like, Coleman plays, you know, not even every night. And when he does, it's briefly. And he's, you know, sits nine, maybe sits ten if you're being very, uh, you know, if you're being very kind. Um, Chukwu obviously has a ton of size. He he helps, you know, the, the, the roster look good, but he hasn't played in months. 
So yeah, well, this also isn't like and bulk are two different things too. Like if you have, yes, like like Leiden's tall, but he you know is barely like two twenty soaking wet. Yeah, and he and he probably I, I think Leiden on defense at least like actually probably plays bigger than he is with his uh, penchant for blocking shots. But it's not like he's um, you know a, a super dominant defensive center. I think we we get by uh, better than than we should with him in there. Um, but he's not. I, I don't think he's the ideal. Uh, guy there so um yeah i mean it, it was an issue last year we thought we had solved a lot of them with coleman back and uh and obviously chuku transferring in um but we're this is a, a similar team in that regard uh as it was last year and obviously you know things worked out and Syracuse made a run late last year but uh it's it's gonna be a lot to, to ask of uh Leiden to play the same kind of defense in the tournament this year as he as he did for that like stretch last year where he was blocking a bunch of shots every game. No, I, I completely agree. I, I think that anyone expecting, I mean, as you could still make a run, but anyone expecting the same sort of run uh, this year uh, is kidding themselves if only because of the personnel. It, it, it's not there to do things the same way as consistently as they were able to do last year. I mean, you've seen it for glimpses. Um, the press really worked well against Louisville. I think for parts of uh, parts of the game the other day, I think that the press obviously worked very well against Virginia. We saw it against Clemson, but and NC State. But but I don't know if once you get to the tournament, if teams teams don't let you hang around like that, especially once you develop a penchant for doing that. Whenever you're kind of within striking distance, um, it becomes part of the scouting report. becomes something that you need to prepare for and do prepare for. Um, and against more talented teams, I mean Louisville, saying case in point a more talented team like Louisville versus, you know, maybe a less talented team like NC State or Clemson um, was ready for it. Yes, they still got shoved into overtime, but they were able to put the game away uh, when they needed to. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't just bet on, like, a crazy hot run of den. Obviously, um, this team showed a little, like, that they, that they can do it <clears throat> for small bursts so far this season. But, um, you know, I think a Final Four run is probably not going to happen a second year in a row, but... I mean, just get to the tournament and see what happens at this point. I, I'd be thrilled to death there, and, you know, if we're one and done, we're one and done. But making like, rebounding far enough to make the tournament at all from where this team started, I think, is an accomplishment that we can all be pretty happy about. And then I, I say this knowing that, you know, if Syracuse gets in as a 10 seed and loses, like, by four to a 7 seed, we'll all be just unbelievably heartbroken. Um, but for now, like, let's just see what, we, what happens here. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I know we talked about this last week, too. It's just everyone's got to be a little realistic. Um, getting in is the number one thing, and then anything that happens from there, I don't want to bring up gravy, but at the same time, like you said, given what, given where we were, given the fact that we were 11-9, and nine, given the fact that we could easily be on death's door already, um, getting in would be, would be amazing um, and, and, and something that I would... I would applaud and, and, and then, again, just take whatever came next. Um, obviously, plenty of road ahead, though. Um, SU could easily seal this thing up or screw it up in a, an impressive fashion over the last four games. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully these last two games, obviously, you know, you have two losses by a total of nine points. Um, it's not like earlier in the season where you're losing to BC by double digits and losing to, to St. John's by 33. So, and, and it's not like Pitt and, uh, it's not like Pitt and Louisville are bad teams by any stretch. Uh, Pitt's had, not had a great season, but they, they can still, you know, play with anyone pretty much. And Louisville's one of the best teams in the country. Um, 
So I don't want to like overblow losing by four to the number eight team in the country. Um, even at home, even a team that probably would have gone a long way towards not I would say locking up uh, tournament hopes, but it, it, I would feel really, really good had they beaten Louisville. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, you're not going to steal these overtime games every time. Um, so we'll we'll see. Uh, I I think we still have. Uh, the nice thing about the ACC, and we say it like every week, you, you always have opportunities, which is really all you could ask for when this team was sitting, um, you know, after that BC loss. Like, you, all you could ask for was these big games to get you, uh, to launch you forward, and, and they've taken advantage for the most part. So, we're definitely in uh, not a great spot, but I think back in, back in January, if you told us that we were where we are now, I, I would be very thrilled. Same here. Um... Looking around the scoreboard tonight, a um, couple things that stand out. Um, UVA is currently up on Duke 25-21. That game will be well over by the time people listen to this. But, Dan, who do we want to win that game? Uh, look at the ACC standings. I mean, I think in all likelihood UVA will finish ahead of us, right? Like, that's probably not much up for, uh, for debate. Um, I think there's a better chance that we finish ahead of Duke. If uh, if I remember, see looks like right now, um, I'm pulling it up now. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, they're both eight and four. We're eight and six, so it's not that much of a difference. Uh, Duke actually has a better overall record. Um, you know, we probably want Duke to win, just as we have Duke. We have Duke left, so I think we probably want Duke to win and that to look better if we beat them. That's fair. I mean, I will say that we already did beat Virginia, so there's obviously yeah. That. You could go either way, I guess. I mean, it depends on. I, if, you know what? That might, I think you might actually be right then, because Virginia we already have in the bank, Duke, I mean, I think Duke will... We assumed we can beat Duke, but that's no guarantee. Yeah, so maybe, I mean, it depends on what's weighed heavier. Um, No, I think you're probably right now that I think about it. We have Virginia, we've already had Virginia as a win. The better they look, the better the win looks. Duke, I think Duke, honestly, like, I'm not too worried about what people are going to think of Duke by the end of the year, because they're kind of a name brand, and they'll be a top four seed in all likelihood and um i think even if duke was to lose to virginia like i don't think it would really change that much about what people think of duke more virginia obviously i think there's a little more malleability in terms of what people think of the cavaliers even if they've been like one of the most consistent teams in the country for three years now especially after the loss of virginia tech the other night yes that uh that definitely i mean because at this point that would be what three losses in five for virginia something like that uh yeah, they've had a weird little spurt here. Um, us, the yeah, they, well, they have three and five now. Uh, that Nova game was actually in their last... No, yes, that Nova game was actually in their last five, which is weird. Yeah, that, that stupid, like, late January game. I forgot that was as late in the season as it was. Um, yeah, so they've lost to Nova, us, and Virginia Tech in their last five. They beat, they beat Tech their first time. Um, by, like, almost 30 points, which, you know, I always love when that happens in college basketball. Um, when teams split games, but, like, one of the, one of the games is a 30-point win. Um, like and then they, finals. Right. And then they beat Louisville pretty handily. Uh, so it's not like the size falling. Like, when you, you throw in, like, a nice over Tech and a big, you know, blowout one over Tech, and, uh, you know, you lost by two to Villanova, who's won 90 of their last 100 games, and you beat Louisville by uh, 16. Like, it's hard to really... And then the losses, you know, two points to Nova, four points to SU, two points to Tech. Like, there are worse five-game stretches, even at two and three there. Um, yeah, I think the Who should be pretty, should feel pretty good about where they are. Oh, agreed. I was just mad because I was writing that story for SB Nation that went up today 
about Virginia and how they're completely dependent. I mean, they're great, but they're also completely dependent on holding you under 60 points. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the thing with them. It's, and, and this year, I don't, I don't know that they have the same... Um, obviously, they're a very good team. I don't know that I trust uh, the guys on this team, even Parentes, who's been you know a very good player his career, during his career. Um, I'd rather rely on a Malcolm Brogdon or a Joe Harris for a basket than I think the guys that they have this year. Parentes is great. Um, but he's more of a distributor, you know, he's their leading scorer at 12 points, six points a game. So it's not like they have a guy that you know is going to put in 20 right. that you can get the ball to. Um, you know, he's a real pretty playmaker. Like, Parentis is a guy really... who can hit from outside here and there, can get hot, but Brogdon was like an actual two-way player who, who you, you feared when he was coming down the floor. Yes. Um, unless you have Balakay Richardson on your team. Yeah, and then in that case. <laughs> um, yeah, I noticed... This year's Virginia team is actually better defensively than they were last year, which I found surprising. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, they, uh, they've played in nine games where teams have scored more than 60 points total. Is that, are they playing slower? Like, is that some, I don't know how much slower they could play, um, but I wonder if some of that's tempo. That's, well, that was all tempo-free stuff, too. Oh, that was tempo-free? Yeah, that, yeah. Was, all, that was looking at <laughs> tempo-free stuff. I know... They've, they've played against, this is the ninth game against top, a top 30 um, offense via Ken Palm, and they're 4-4 four and four in the first eight games, and they've held those teams to 59.6 points per game. Yeah, I mean, that's impressive. They're just so good defensively, that whole system. I know people complain about it, and uh, it's not, like, a popular opinion to, like, kind of, I, I appreciate what, what they do. Like, it's I've not... I've grown to appreciate it more, especially what, since I've, I saw how much SU struggled with it when we first got to the ACC. And what we've what we've like scratched and clawed to do to it since? Yeah, it's 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 also like it's not like they just like they win rock fights like Pitt did a couple years ago, where like their offense was brutal to watch. Yeah. Like the their offense is brutally efficient. It's just it's super efficient. Down. It's slow, but they they like move the ball really well. Um, I think it's actually pretty aesthetically pleasing. It's just done at such a, a you know slowed down pace compared to like you know what a lot of the ACC teams do, um, but. I think when you actually like watch it and see how probing it is and how like every every movement has like meaning to it and it you don't they don't have like those I mean they they do occasionally just as they don't have the great stores but I feel like they're less prone to those like awful moments of of just dead ball play like like I was talking about with SU before where SU just looks like it's never played offense before but when SU gets going you know they play really fast and they light it up from outside and and you know the the peak of a, a good Syracuse uh, run is is awesome where Virginia is, is just much more steady. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole point of it is, is you play at a slow pace, but you even that out with efficient shooting. So if you're going to fall behind against a team like that, you are just perpetually screwed. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that they don't come, I mean, as we've learned, like they don't come from behind that well. Yeah. Which, And this year, again, like I think that's another issue. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know who you feed, like if, if you're Virginia. And it, you even saw this in our game. It wasn't a blowout or anything. But there was no obvious guy that you're like. It's the only guy. It's the only guy that you could even imagine. Yeah. taking that shot. And even him, like I'm not that. Ter- like, he'll hit a big shot, but I'm not that terrified of him. You know, just getting the ball on the wing and popping it, and and you know, he hasn't even shot nearly as well this year. I think part of that's based on the load he's taken on. Mm-hmm. Where I think was it last year that he was hitting like 50 percent of his threes because he was like the third or fourth option. This year he's the number one guy. He's sitting you know just under 40 percent, which is pretty good, but. Um, he's definitely not nearly the efficient player he was. And he's the only guy, because I, I actually, when I first looked at this, I forgot, Austin Nichols only played in one game. He started 11 points in that game. 
So Fuentes is really the only guy who's averaging double digits. Um, the thing is, they do kill you with depth because they have uh, like 10, 11 guys that all play double digit minutes and, and are all rotating in and out really, you know, a ton. But um, just no one overwhelming. Uh, and I guess that almost makes it more impressive because you look at like what Malcolm Brogdon's doing in the NBA. He's been one of the better uh, unheralded rookies this year. Um, he was a really good player. Uh, even Joe Harris, you know, was an awesome four-year player for them. This year, I, I mean, they just don't have a guy like that where uh, he's going to strike fear in you offensively. And yet, they're, you know, I don't think they're quite as good this year um, across the board as they have been, but they're still, you know, easily a top 10 to 15 team. So um, you can't really say uh, enough about what Tony Bennett's done there. He's just been so good since taking over that program. I right, we concur. Um Looking, you know, I was going to go to the scoreboard, but I think instead, looking at the ACC standings, um, right now we are, what, seventh? Seventh. Uh, I just had it up. Yeah. Yes. Seventh. Now, Dan, where do you think we finish? Seventh seems about right, honestly. Um, I, I, I'm optimistic that we end up finishing in the top half, which would be nice to get a buy in the uh, tournament, I, I believe. Think, I think we basically have to. Well, we almost have to, looking at the teams around us. I mean, Virginia Tech's the only one with a tiebreaker on us. Yeah, um, Miami, we have it over. Tech is yet to be decided. They're at six and seven. Um, Notre Dame uh, obviously is one ahead. They would have it. Um, yeah, I mean, is if we're projecting to go two and two down the stretch, which is obviously you no know, given, that puts us at ten and eight. Um, I would struggle to think that at ten and eight or even nine and seven, we wouldn't be in the top half of the of the conference. So um, that'd be nice. That'd be a, a, a solid accomplishment again. Like these. Parrot victories uh, from where we're coming from, but if you had told us again in January that Syracuse is going to finish in the top half of the ACC uh, and get a buy in the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, um, I think we would have all signed for that pretty quickly. I would concur. Um, other scoreboard notes before we get to one that actually matters to us. Um, Tulane is beating SMU by 11. Go wave. Yeah. <laughs> Roll damn wave. This is notable because Tulane is terrible at basketball and SMU is not. Um, and it's fun to see the Green Wave potentially do something good here. Yeah, didn't... When was the last time Tulane made an NCAA tournament? This is going to be some great radio. Fam, 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 fam. Tulane, Green Wave, Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm sorry I've done this to all of you. I take full responsibility uh, of this awesome segment of <laughs> everyone pit, just... Just, like, start stepping ahead on the podcast thing. Like, do that, like, 15 seconds ahead, like, twice or three times. Um, the last time they made the tournament 95. was 1995 in a string of appearances, 92, 93, and 95. And that is the NCAA history, uh, NCAA tournament history of the Tulane uh, Green Wave. They've actually won a game in every, one, every tournament they've made, which is amazing. Way to go, Tulane. I, I forgot that Mike Dunleavy was the coach. Yeah, I just remember that when I clicked on Wikipedia. <laughs> Yeah, Tulane. Um, okay, so games that actually matter to us. Um, South Carolina lost again, this time to Arkansas at home. Yeah, I think South Carolina is kind of what they are. I think they're in the tournament for sure, unless something crazy happens. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm going down to visit friends there, and they they just told me that South Carolina is playing Tennessee. I think on next Saturday, so I'm going to that game. So I will get to see a game at uh, what is actually supposed to be a pretty good home court um, in Columbia. So that'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully I won't bring... Well, actually, I, I was, you know, Turkey's beat Virginia the last game I saw, so I guess I can't really be bad luck. Um, 
So yes, I will be seeing SEC basketball, just what everyone goes to the, uh, the Southeast to watch. I mean, you know what? That Florida-Auburn game last night was a hell of a lot of fun. I caught a bit of that. Not too much, though. It's like 114-95 or something was the final score. There was 114 points scored by a team in the SEC. In regulation. Wow. It was the most points Florida scored in a game since 2000. I believe uh, I, I believe it. That's nuts. It's the only reason I know Auburn, that Auburn's kind of trash. They but. are trash, but it was it was tied fifty fifty at halftime. Um, I'm being told also in bots in things that are happening right now. I'm being told Deion Waiters is uh, doing things. Yeah, he had twenty one points against the Rockets, and they're gonna win. Yeah, Deion. Deion, I, I like Deion's like my number one rooting interest in the NBA right now. It it sucks because he like because like I hate the Heat. But then Dion's so much fun to root for. And the Heat are like, indis- like, they're like nothing about them streams like the Heat of any Heat era oh. at this point, except for Pat Riley's like looming visage on the sideline. Um, this is a Knicks fan. I feel like I'm obligated to hate them. That's fair. Yeah. I know that. I mean, that's like a sneaky, intense 90s rivalry. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dion's just, <laughs> Dion's just so much fun. <laughs> he, he is like, Dion is, is very much living his best NBA life at the moment. Um, just doing all the things that, like, it's basically if everything Dion like, is about, like, worked out really well for a stretch of time, like, that's what's happening. It's not like Dion's changed his game that much. He's still Dion, uh, and he will always be Dion, but he's just playing awesome. Like, he's just having an awesome season. Uh, he's averaging, you know, 15.7 points, and I, I want to see what the average is, like, just in the last month, because he's just been going nuts. And the Heat have kind of crawled back into, like, I don't know if you... Somehow. Yeah, I guess they're like eight games under five hundred, but that is their that is playoff contention ish, I guess. Yeah, um, whatever. And they're just like a very weird, strappy team that is red hot. Uh, Dragic is a, a nice player. Whiteside is Whiteside. Um, it's an interesting bunch, and Deion Waiters is like the weird leader of that cavalcade of uh, strange players. I want them to keep winning because I want as as few teams as possible to be competing with the Knicks for a top five seed. A top five. That's. Team. That's fair. Also, with with all that said, Dion's PER is still under fifteen. Of course, it is. <laughs> Dion Dion can have a Hall of Fame career like from here on out, and he still would never get his PER over fifteen. That that Josh Hollinger just designed that stat to like just make Dion angry. Well, well, if he because... odds are Dion doesn't know what that is, but no, he, he doesn't care what that is because his thing is it doesn't matter if I take fifteen shots or twenty five shots. If I score twenty points, that's all that matters. Men lie, women lie, player efficiency rating lies, buckets don't. Um, (laughs) All right. So as we head into halftime today, uh, I just want to give another shout out to our sponsor, uh, Sports Passport. Like I said, gives you all the information you want to know about games you've been to, gives you kind of a year-by-year look at stats. Um, I know I have uh, my stats going all the way back to 1997. It tracks further back than that, but that was the first game I went to. It was a Mets game. I got to see, you know, year by year, uh, you get to look at, oh, like in 2015, I had Dodgers season tickets, so I went to 28 games total, all sports. Like 2016, I went to 17 games. Haven't been to any games this year, but going to be changing that soon. And then you can even break it down, uh, you know, by sport year. So like all time, I've been to 19 Mets games, and the Mets went 9 and 10 in that stretch. And I can see top performances. So like one of the games I went to, for the Dodgers last year, Kershaw pitched a you know three hit shutout. 
And so like that's highlighted as like one of the top performances I've ever seen. So again, things like that, super cool over on Sports Passport. Would highly recommend everyone signs up. Uh, we'll have a link um, to the app store as well as just the website um, on the podcast uh, blog post on New Magician. Um, but again, you can go to sportspassport.com or download it. Highly recommended. I just created mine while we were recording and uh, put in the games I saw this year. Um, I have a lot of work to do if I want to get all my Mets games in. Uh, most of the, mostly because I, good lord, if I could even remember all of the ones I went to in the last like, couple of years, this is, this uh, is living in the city. A, this is when having a photographic memory helps. I guess I have like I have like four square check-ins. I can probably double. Uh, I I'll, I'll remember all the Syracuse teams. Yeah. Um, going back for sure, I'll remember all those. Well, you can even check um, the box score on that. Just look at every game that was that happened while you were there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I missed a football game at the dome. I don't know that I missed a basketball game at the dome besides winter break. So I mean, I'll have no problem remembering those. Right. Uh, Mets will be tough. Um, I mean, like I've only been to a handful of Packers games ever because they are in Wisconsin. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely going to try to get this together probably tonight. I'll probably end up staying up till like 2am because <laughs> I'm dumb and filling in a bunch of stuff and they'll be like, Oh, now I have this cool thing that's uh, complete and, uh, legit. So you can look at all of my awesome, uh, attendance stats. Uh, let me see if what it's telling me already. I mean, I have like this year's, uh, game so far, so it's, we're, we're a long ways off, but we'll see. I have faith. I know that I actually did the same thing. Because Sports Passport used to be a bunch of separate sites um, that were that were passporty, and then they uh, then they actually got purchased by New York Life, and then they became one one holistic site that that logged all of your games, which uh, which definitely made things much cooler and more interactive. And then the app launched recently, so um, yeah, again, fun 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 stuff. So far, the best performance I have is Andrew White on February 4th against uh, Virginia. So that that's definitely going to be up there. I will keep you all updated in the comments, I guess. <laughs> or, or not, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, okay. So our usual halftime segment that we will still be commencing with. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, I drove a mountain this week. I, I came through for everyone. Um let me open up. I have untapped open. I'm just sending my, my beers. Uh, one thing I did, uh, just kind of spur of the moment the other night, uh, went to Big Alice Brewery in Long Island City, which I had not been to before. And I don't think I'd ever even had anything by them. They're a small operation um, just in like a, a little warehouse in LIC in Queens. Had a bunch of stuff from them. Um, pretty impressed overall. Uh, I don't know that anything like blew me away, but I think most of the stuff was pretty good. Um, and they're also, like, I appreciate, like, they're, they had, like, 13 beers on tap, and they were all very distinct and very different, which I always appreciate. They, they definitely, like, put themselves out there and try stuff. So I had their Lemongrass Kolsch, uh, which was super refreshing, very, very light, very drinkable. Um, I had their Ravenswood, which was one of the better ones I had. That was uh, kind of this, like, deeper-flavored uh, Belgian Strong, which was delicious. Um, I had a Queen's Honey Brown which tasted nothing like the honey brown that you can have for another couple weeks at Chuck's. Um, definitely more of a brown than honey. Uh, will not give you the raging Chuck's hangovers. Um, probably the, the most interesting thing I had by far was a jalapeno rye, uh, which you expect to be kind of like spicy, um, in like the habanero stolpen, which we've talked about, which I don't know that I will ever need to drink again, but like, cause it was legitimately spicy. 
this really wasn't at all. It just had jalapeno flavor, which I had, I appreciated. Like it, they they didn't go for like the the spicy like shock beer. It was literally just like this beer tastes like a jalapeno, but like it really wasn't spicy at all. It just tasted like pepper, awesome. which was super super interesting. Um, and then I had their peppermint stout, which was delicious, really ref- really nice, not overpowering. Probably my favorite one I had from them was a sour one with cranberries. Uh, had pretty solid cranberry flavor. Um, quite sour, but I, I like my sours like legit sour. Uh, and then not from them, I had the apricot rebus from Grim Artisanal, another New York City brewery, uh, the other day. Um, I've had that before. Grim makes really good, just does really good work, uh, and that one is uh, quite delicious and very refreshing. Dan, I think you finally beat me in a week. Look at that. All I'd do is go to a brewery like one random Wednesday night and try like half their stuff. There you go. Yeah, I was actually uh, skiing all weekend. So I, uh, well, snowboarding, but nonetheless, spent, uh, spent the week with my in-laws and wife and brother-in-law just kind of hanging out and drinking whatever we brought up, which was just from Costco. So still some good stuff. Um, before I left, though, I did have, um, I don't know if you've been to OEC Brewing up in Connecticut, but... Uh, I, I've not been. I've had some of their stuff. Yeah, but I I've not a been. A buddy of mine sent a bottle of uh, Artemis. Uh, okay, that was really good. I have another bottle of Plumtastic actually that I uh, that I'm going to bust open the next week or so that I'll be sure to report on because that one's supposed to be pretty fantastic. Um, I had I had some Lagunitas pills while I was there. Had some Racer Five, uh, a little something something from Lagunitas. Uh, some Beechwood Foam Tap, which has become a favorite now that it's in six packs. And then I had some, uh, some Ponto and some Swamis from uh, Pizza Port. So, yeah, pretty quick, uh, quick rundown for me this week. For all of you who had, like, me plus 600 in terms of more beers this week, <laughs> you can cash in. <laughs> all right. Um, so, spring football. Uh, we know we've been talking about it a little bit. Now that we actually have a date for it to start, March 21st uh, through April 22nd, it's... It's actually a lot shorter than normal, I feel. I don't know if that's just because he feels like, like Dino Babers feels like the team knows the system now or whatever, or the fact that there's only 60 players on campus um, who have scholarships right now or, or what have you. Um, yeah, th- this is definitely a shorter spring practice. I, I don't think we're going to see much in the spring game again, but um, focusing first on the running backs. I know I focused on quarterbacks last week in an article and focused on running backs this week. Um, Dan, what do you think of the running back position uh, looking really, really far out right now? Uh, it's it's hard to know because there's we've kind of hinted at a lot of potential movement there. Um, obviously, we had Strickland as the main guy uh, last year, but by main, I mean like he had the most yards by default, but really no one made a huge impact. Um, I know we've talked about him possibly switching to receiver. Uh, I don't know if the program has really... Uh, put anything out there about that, but it seems like that idea is gaining traction in the general, uh, in the general like Syracuse internet. Somebody uh, mentioned it, world. AJ Daniels, before he decommitted. Yeah, so that that makes it seem like a thing that might happen for sure. Um, I wouldn't mind it, just because uh, you know he didn't have like the best year running back, and I think we could use all the more help in the slot. But I also think Mo Neal. I would love to see Mo Neal take on a bigger role. Um, I think there's a fair uh, that Marquenzi Pierre is one of the, the guys. I mean, he seems to be one of the guys that's gaining the most uh, buzz in terms of a person who could play right away. Um, and 
you know, or if he and, and in this offense, like there's nothing to say that that he can't kind of split the role or play in the backfield and play in the slot. Um, obviously, Babers has no problem being creative on offense. Uh, so I, I think running back's probably one of the big mystery positions of the team. Um, and we all, as we we've said, you know, Dino Babers is a running back himself. He wants to run the ball at Bowling Green. He did run the ball to a great effect. Um, it was a team that ran the ball more than a pat, more than a threw, I believe. Uh, in a, you know, a slight breakdown there. Um, last year, obviously, was not how this team wanted to be running, and it was just like the most effective way based on what we could do. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we see more production out of the out of the group this year. And and I think that's probably one of the things we will see if we learn anything this spring. The running back position will be an interesting one to pay attention to because if there's a position change, odds are it will happen in the spring, and we kind of will get a sense of who's carrying the rock the most. Uh, I, I think if I had to bet, I bet Moniel ends up being being the guy uh, this year. But it could, you know, who knows? Yeah, I know Stephen Bailey said that he felt Dante Strickland was going to stick around in the backfield and that Moniel was going to go out to the slot. I don't know if we see the change in the spring, if only because there's only two running backs on the roster anymore. So I feel like for the purpose of spring practice, the change, we might see more throwing out of the backfield. Just to just to gain more of a rapport, you know, pass and catch wise between Neil and Dungey and Strickland and Dungey. I know Strickland's been catching passes from Dungey for two years now. Neil may have caught like one pass last year. I don't have any stats in front of me, but um, just to maybe grow that rapport before you know summer camp starts and once July hits, I, I think you start to see you know Pierre and Sturgeonger uh, kind of shift in. Um, I know I alluded to Chris Elmore, too. Um, you know, he's not going to be a regular guy to carry the ball, but he's somebody who he's big, he's got size, he's got experience um, in, in what seems like short yardage and goal line situations. I think just having him there and not having to rely so heavily on Dungey um, would be a huge, 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 uh, you know, change for this team um, and really kind of help out, help out everybody, you know, because the last thing... You know, two guys that are like under 180 pounds, like Strickland and Neil, need is getting hammered by you know eight in the box at the goal line. The last thing Dungey needs is getting hit by anybody, but especially you know a, a defensive front stacking eight again. Um, having somebody like Elmore, who's around like 270 or so, being able to pound it up the gut um, would be, I, I think, a huge, huge improvement and one that uh, that really helps this offense run a little bit better um, on, on third down when I feel like teams could really sell out on the blitz um, against Syracuse when they knew that uh, either we were going to pass or that Dungy was going to roll out and, uh, and sneak for a first down. Yeah, I also just love having like unique people in the backfield. So I'm all for Elmore uh, having a roll back there. I miss the tank package. Um, although it sounds like he might just legit play like H-back, fullback uh, in this offense. I, I don't imagine he'll be doing it at 270. I think he'll probably... Try to cut down to like two fifty. Um, I'm back at defensive tackle after Slayton and Samuels and everybody's gone. Who knows? I I, I have no idea. Um, I feel like he would just be there. Like I know the running back numbers aren't great, but I feel like, I mean I don't know that having uh, unless Babers just like really has some big ideas. I don't know that having uh, an H back. Uh, is all that important considering the fact that defensive tackle depth has been an issue for like five years right. um, since basically that Andrew Lewis team where they had like the three guys that were all seniors. Um, I, I think defensive tackle is just one of the more valuable positions. So I think if he had his future there, I think we'd probably just see him starting there. But who knows? Right. Sir, um, 
And then I guess obviously the the, the last kind of lingering thing for uh, for all fans right now, uh, talking about the running back position, is Gus Edwards. Um, Dan, right now he's not coming. Do you think that changes, or, or do you think that we end up having to move on? I wouldn't bet on it uh, changing. I, I I think if he was to fight it, he could probably get it to, but he might just not want the fight, um, which is understandable. Um, so uh, it's just by the way, I haven't heard much uh, in that department. I, I wouldn't expect uh, this the things to change there. Um, obviously, it's unfortunate because... Uh, I know we're both pretty big advocates for players being able to do, like, just having the right to play where they want to play, um, all th- you know, considering everything else that works against him in the system right now. But uh, it doesn't sound like he's super interested in making a big prolonged battle with Miami over this. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect uh, this, the status quo to change. Um, obviously, if, if it does, he would be a great addition. But I, I am not banking on it by any means. So he's probably Rutgers, then. Yeah. Uh, about right based on what he's looking for uh, i mean sure i guess probably i guess it's close to home it's actually really close to home staten island's right there yeah <laughs> staten island aka north jersey staten island aka like just just give it so they i mean we've i've long contended that they should trade uh hoboken to staten island that's fine and, and, and i'm saying that as someone who was born on staten island <laughs> That's right. I, I was born on one of the worst islands, and then I moved to another one of the worst islands after that. Um, that was John is te- what John's telling you is he's willing to become a, a native New Jerseyan for the for the, the good of mankind. I mean, potentially. <laughs> um, anyway, one more thing I want to discuss before we get into our usual bracketology nonsense. Uh, other bracketology nonsense. This time with the women's team. Um, the SU women are not locked into a spot right now but they're pretty much in um dan i don't know if you saw the bracketology from yesterday on espn but su uh got knocked down to a number six seed after uh after a loss to duke and uh that's bad um because um you know there there's the potential to um you know washington and gonzaga um in seattle which is uh, which is obviously not good. Yeah, I like, I like that we'd be sent to Seattle for the two teams from there. Um, I know Gonzaga is not in Washington, in Seattle itself, but yeah, it's close enough. Um, and then would potentially be uh, in line to play um, UConn in Bridgeport if things got that far. Uh, not that I mean UConn, like that game could be in the Terrier Dome. Uh, that game could be at Jim Beheim's house. Um, it could literally be like on the top of an orange tree, and it wouldn't matter. Um, but I don't think that uh, if if you're going to get a choice of where to play UConn, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut is probably not the optimal place. No, not at all. And I think in general, yeah, like SU. I feel like the the route that we had last week, we were a five seed that was potentially looking at a four. It seemed like you know we were we were on the fringe of of getting a, a home field. Well, home court for the first two rounds. I still feel like we can still get that, but I that a lot of that depends on beating Notre Dame because BC and Pitt are terrible, and those were our last two games of the regular season. Um, I'm not banking on us beating Notre Dame. We haven't done so since 2002. Uh, Dan, do you think we have any chance of beating them, or do you think it's just it, it's just too far gone? And we're going to have to play our kind of play our luck in the ACC tournament and then hope we we get the right kind of route like we did last year. 
yeah, I think it's more likely that they're going to have to take some games in the ACC. Um, I don't know what Wake Forest is like in women's. I know Pitt is usually pretty awful, so they'll pit, they'll probably win those two. Notre Dame doesn't seem like they're the same level of Notre Dame team that they have been for like most of the decade. They're number seven. Uh, we're usually they're t- pretty solid top five stalwart. Um, but they are a team that usually beats up on SU. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, pencil that one in by any means. Um, it does seem like overall though, the team is trending in the right direction. Um, aside from the Duke loss, like they've won five of their last six, uh, after a pretty up and down start to the year, uh, especially coming off of the, of the championship game, uh, birth. So it wouldn't shock me if, if SU has a nice run, you know, continues on that run and, and takes momentum into the postseason and maybe wins a game or two in the ACC and, and getting into that, you know, Getting to a line where you can toast those first few games in the dome in in the dome would be huge. So hopefully they can uh, pull that off and and get a, a nice easier run here than the the Seattle to Bridgeport uh, <laughs> setup that we currently have, which really again Plus, could uh, not be could not be worse. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, and then lastly, of course, what Dan and I do once the season starts coming to a close, um, bracketology nonsense. Uh, where we sit here, make some choices based on virtually nothing but gut feeling, um, and yeah, it's America in 2017. Yeah, I mean, come on, what do you want from us? That, that's the only thing. This is actually the most reliable thing you're hearing in your ears today. Probably. The only truth is our truth, personally. So, <laughs> so Dan, let me know when you have SB Nation's bracketology up, and then we. Can... Oh, it's up. Oh, it's up. We are we are good to go. I, so ahead of the game today. <laughs> Aside from the fact that I had untapped up and then forgot to actually click on the right link uh, earlier. And also the two-lane thing, which cost us a solid minute and a half. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're all set here. <laughs> all right, so East Bracket first. I'll look through the top half. Um, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a really fun Villanova-Wisconsin game. I'm seeing a really fun UCLA-Kentucky game. Um, and I'm going to go UCLA over Villanova um, in the Elite Eight here. Um, yeah, I see Wisconsin there, like you brought up. Is it just me? What, what is Wisconsin like? Why are they just totally getting slept on so hard? <laughs> Probably that the, uh, Northwestern didn't help. Yeah, but Northwestern's not that bad. Um, they're going to be at the tournament for the first time ever. Uh, no, like, Wisconsin is having a great year. Um, the fact they weren't in the top 16 that was put up by the committee the, the other day was... Sucks. The Big Ten does suck, but, like, they're one of the 16 best teams, I think. Oh, I agree with that. I just think the Big Ten sucks, or everyone's like, eh, but are they really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, you will not find me complaining about the Big Ten being bad. Like, that's just not my game at all. I'm totally cool with the Big Ten being bad. Um, I just feel like Wisconsin, like, as a five, like, they should be at least a four, but whatever. Um... I still think uh, Villanova comes out of that top part. UCLA, Villanova would be an interesting matchup. Um, I trust uh, Villanova a little bit more. Um, I just think they're a little more consistent. Uh, UCLA, just, they, I mean, they have some really impressive wins. Lots of balls, awesome. But um, I just think Nova is, is just a better all-around team. So I'm taking them out of the top. Uh, I also think UCLA could probably end up being a little higher than a four here. Um I think in the I bottom, deserve to be a little bit higher. I mean, they're in the, the the committee says that they're a four. I think they're more of a three right now, based on the wins they have. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the other threes: Virginia, Florida, Arizona. Um, I I like them more than Florida. Yeah, although Florida's recent play has been pretty impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, part of this, the SEC's garbage. Like, the SEC's just straight trash. Um, they are a three-bid league, probably, unless we are playing Tennessee in here, um, which I am very suspect about. Uh, yeah, out of the bottom, um, I know I've, I've been kind of high in Notre Dame. They've kind of fallen off a little bit recently. Um, I'm gonna, I mean, I'll just go with the Louisville-Kentucky matchup, because, you know, that's what the people want. Um, Louisville won the first game. Uh, I don't know. Kentucky's been playing kind of weird lately as well. They've had some some injury issues. I think I would take Louisville again. I think Louisville, their veteran club, Patino, coaches well in the tournament. So I'm doing Chalk. I'm doing Louisville-Villanova. And I think I would take Louisville. Uh, I think their style of play uh, is often a problem for other teams. I think eventually Villanova's run here is going to come to, uh, like they're going to have a bad loss at some point. So I'll take Louisville to beat Villanova in the Elite Eight and go to the Final Four. I'm going to fill out the rest of my Elite Eight with Louisville so that I'm taking UCLA over Louisville. But I did want to point out the really fun Northwestern TCU matchup. Um, Ooh, yeah. 7-10 slot. Now, I wrote a story. That's like the super unlikely, uh, oh, but these teams are in it? Okay. I, uh, I wrote a story about both teams as kind of like, you know, comparing resumes and looking at their you know, tournament droughts, things like that, uh, a couple weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, that would just be a fun game, very purple, but, uh, but also very unlikely in a lot of ways. I, I, would, I would entertain a Northwestern Louisville upset if just because, like, Louisville just lays that, like, random egg in the first round, in the first or second round, like, every few years. And, like, Northwestern does seem like the type of team that, like, if they can, if they can win a couple in the Big Ten tournament, gain some momentum, like, they seem like a team that could really kind of ride their way on, like, just guts alone through a couple of rounds. Yeah, and they, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like, Northwestern's just, like, all seniors this year, I think, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, so now they're seniors that don't have tournament experience because no one ever at Northwestern's had tournament experience. Um, but uh, generally, like, I think that's a, a, a decent bet, and TCU... Um, I don't know. They're 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 an interesting, they're an interesting team. Uh, they're a nice story. Both teams are, are great stories. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. Of losing the tournament, though. That's true. I I kind of forgot about that. Um, yeah, I would go with Northwestern there. I trust them a little more. Um, and that's one of those games that I feel like could happen just because we know that the tournament likes to kind of create these fun little mashups and having uh, Northwestern, which has never been, versus TCU, which uh, I don't remember the last time TCU was in it, um, and certainly hasn't even been close. I think that sounds right, and they, they haven't been close since they joined the Big 12, uh, so uh, that could be a fun one. Agreed, agreed. Um, going down to the West first, um, you know that I hate Gonzaga, so I'm picking West Virginia out of the top half. And looking at the bottom, I... I'm still going to ride with Virginia. I think Virginia beats Oregon, and then I got... I'm going to go with Virginia beats West Virginia in, in the, uh, the regular season rematch. And Virginia, despite all of my comments earlier, gets themselves to the Final Four. Um, oof. I, I'm really tempted to take Michigan State beating Gonzaga, just because... Yeah, just because... Yeah, because it's just Right, and like they'll probably end up going on a run because they got they lost the the first round last year um, when they sort of 
been, a, you know, they were what number two tournament favorite. Um, but I watching them, they're just they're not, not that good. Um, obviously, and, and even as a nine seed, I think they're they're getting a lot of credit here, um, being that high up. Even like compared to like where Syracuse win. is, yeah. And and unlike Syracuse, like there just aren't that many wins to be had in the Big Ten. Like, oh, you beat you know Iowa. Congrats, great. Um, you did it. <laughs> yeah, a winner is you. Uh, I don't know. It's it's probably just a blind like name thing. I'm gonna stick with Gonzaga uh, coming out of the top. Um, West Virginia is interesting. Uh, the advanced numbers really like them. Um, Cincinnati's obviously just been red hot. I think they're what twenty and two this year. Like they're just really riding a the wave. They're gonna win the AAC. It looks like. Um, although it would, I don't think it would shock anyone if Monmouth team had nowhere beat them, just because Monmouth is a pretty solid club. Um, I, a Cincinnati West Virginia matchup in the uh, round of thirty two could be a lot of fun, though. Um, the game would probably be played in the fifties. Um, That's fine. Although Princeton, a, Princeton is like that that typical thirteen that can beat a West Virginia or a lot of other teams. Mm. But we're not. Talking, yeah. we're not talking brackets right now. We're talking who's actually going to win the thing. That's yeah. another conversation. Uh, out of the bottom, uh, it's just not a great group. Um, no, this is kind of ugly. Yeah. Like, Virginia is a solid team. Uh, I like Oregon a decent amount more, honestly, even with that, like, collapse they had a couple weeks, uh, I think, last week against UCLA. Um, I think they're a really solid club. Um, I'll take Oregon to beat Gonzaga in a very boring 1-2 uh, of Pacific Northwest schools and have the Ducks go to the Final Four. And in, in just a matchup that I can imagine. I would just look forward to your tweets and your angry, why is this happening? So much teeth and <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so, just like we feared, um, Duke gets put in a region where they can definitely uh, get to the Final Four, despite being a four seed. Uh, I've got Duke coming out of the top half of the, uh, the Midwest against Kansas. And then the bottom half... I have, I want to say Florida State, but Florida State's giving me a reason to doubt them, so I'm going with Arizona. I think this is actually a really favorable bottom half of this bracket for Arizona. Um, Purdue's probably the only team that could really test them. Unfortunately, they faced them in the second round. But, uh, yeah, I'm going with Arizona-Duke in the uh, in the Elite Eight, and I'm going to go with Duke, as much as it really pains me to say that. I don't think it would shock anyone if that's so exactly how it played out. Um, <laughs> I will say, like the uh, chance of like a Duke a Duke Wichita matchup uh, would be very interesting in the th- round of thirty two. Oh yeah, because Creighton's gonna lose. Well, Creighton's not going to be a five seed when the tournament rolls around. No, Creighton's. Just, I mean, they've 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 actually like rebounded a fair amount considering like the injuries, but they're just not like they're not the same team as they were earlier in the year. Um, this is just like the total like they, let's just throw all the interesting. Uh, Mid-majors in here, you got a perennial uh, NCAA tournament, invitee Belmont, you have um, St. Mary's, uh, you have Wichita and Dayton, <laughs> and uh, yeah, even UTA. So this is like definitely one of the ones, this will be the one where everyone like has their real fun, like uh, interesting brackets. Um, out of the top, uh, I'll go with Kansas over Duke. Um, I just think, I trust Kansas' backcourt more. Duke has just been, I, I don't know, I... I think there's a great chance that they're the best team in the country by the time we get to the tournament because of all the talent, but uh, they just haven't quite gotten to the point where I'm comfortable putting them in as a 
as a Final Four team. And if, if they actually start peaking, like I, they'll be higher than a four. I think there's a chance that they'll just go on a crazy run and end up as like a two. Um, Kansas, I just trust more now. The backcourt's so good. Uh, Jackson keeps on getting better. Um, and then the combo of uh, Graham and, um, uh, you know, the best player, Frank Mason. Ugh, God. Uh, you know, only the best player in the country. Um, should probably remember his name. Uh, just really solid. I don't know. The front court kind of scares me a little bit. Um, it's not that great. Obviously, they get some decent performances from Brad, but not every night. Um, but overall, I just trust Kansas a little more, and I think backcourt's win in the tournament. Um, in the bottom, it's actually really interesting. Uh, Florida State, I think, I, I don't trust them totally. Um, maybe that's partially because Syracuse beat them. Uh, St. Mary's is super interesting. I could totally see St. Mary's uh, coming out of that bottom four. Um, I don't think Michigan's any good. Um, no, I agree with you with Arizona. I think Purdue is super interesting, if only because of uh, of uh, Swanigan, um, who might be the best player in the country. He's definitely top five. Um, I think Arizona, top to bottom, is probably better. Um, they have Markinen, who's been really good. They have Alonzo Trier back. Um, I'll take Arizona, and I'll take Arizona to beat Kansas, actually. I think Arizona will peak late, and I'll have Arizona. And I just don't want all the number one seeds. So I'll have Arizona coming out of the uh, Midwest here. Fair enough. Um, and then last but not least, the South. Um, all right. So I got VCU knocking off Baylor in the second round. That's going to happen. Um, oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I've got Butler and VCU getting themselves into the Sweet 16, uh, for sure. This this is gonna be this bracket's gonna be carnage. Um, I've got Florida and North Carolina on the other side. Chalk. Um, yes, I know. Disloyal idiot. Syracuse is in this bracket, um, and I'm gonna go with North Carolina over Butler. In the Elite Eight. Um, let's see. I, I agree with you on VCU. Uh, I like them against USC. I, I would love to pitch them against Baylor because I think, I, I forget if you're on the same, uh, you're one of the people that have been uh, burned by Baylor in the NCAA tournament a couple times. But uh, Baylor, I've been burned Baylor, Iowa State. The, you and me are in the Iowa State bucket. Yeah. Baylor, I haven't been, actually, no, I, I, I always pick against Baylor in the tournament just because of my hatred of them. I may start just based on life. Um, picking against Baylor in life, I think, is a, a sound moral strategy um, at this point. Um, also, I'll take VCU there. Uh, I'll actually take VCU to just win that whole uh, section of the bracket, uh, knock off Butler or South Carolina, um, and go to the Elite Eight. And then Will Wade will probably take like the NC State job and never be heard from again. Um, <laughs> Sentence to... Your prize for winning is, is, is living in Raleigh for the rest of your life. <laughs> you are now destined for two, six years of NC State shit. Um, <laughs> then in the bottom, uh, I'll be the slightly more loyal idiot. I'll say Syracuse goes on a mini run, beats Tennessee because Tennessee sucks, beats Maryland because Mellow Trimble will for how to play basketball in his own, and beats Florida because Florida played in the SEC and that's not basketball. Um, but... North Carolina will do will clean up in their section, and then the North Carolina will probably beat us by twenty. And then uh, North Carolina will handle VCU under the uh, Final Four. So I realized I picked three ACC teams to make the Final Four. I have 
Louisville. I had Louisville over Villanova, right? Yeah. yeah. I had Louisville and North Carolina, and then I had Oregon and Kansas, which would be a pretty fun Final Four. Yeah, I've got I've got UCLA and Virginia, and I'm picking UCLA over Virginia on one side, and then I've got Duke and North Carolina on the other, which would be narrative ball times a thousand. <laughs> in, in the in the worst the worst game you ever you ever witnessed, to the point where CBS would pay to have Dick Vitale announce the game with them, <laughs> just 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 for the sake of posterity, and making sure that that nothing sounded different than it normally does. Um, I would pick North Carolina, and UCLA North Carolina would actually be a really fun um, national championship game. I could see a very little defense being played, um, and I would go with UCLA barely. Um, let's see. So I have uh, Kansas versus um, UNC, right? Is that how this? Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, no. I have no. I actually picked Arizona, oh. uh, didn't I? Yes. Uh, Arizona. I should, you know, that was only five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm high in Arizona this week. I'll take Arizona. I think they're just very athletic and very talented, and I think they're just kind of do. Like, I feel like they're just kind of do to make a run here. I, they've been very good under Sean Miller. They've made, like, these fairly deep tournament runs, but they haven't had, like, that signature one yet, um, and I just feel like the momentum to just swing in their direction in the right time. Uh, so I'll go with Arizona. And then Oregon Nova, or Oregon Louisville. Um, I just trust Louisville more there. Uh, I think Oregon can be disrupted as uh, evidenced by the UCLA disaster the other day. Um, so Louisville, Arizona, um, I'd probably go Louisville. I think, you know, why, why, why not give Rick Pitino a, uh, an NCAA cha- uh, championship right, right before, before you strip to the other two. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, there's not much more better. There's not much better that could happen with the NCAA. Just like the the never ending shit show of NCAA investigations, whether they're warranted or not, um, than Louisville winning uh, probably like two months before they get sanctioned for a prostitute scandal. That's pretty perfect. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll go with that. Why not? I think we just painted some pretty fun tournament pictures, Dan. I mean, it could be worse. We could give them the Final Four of Louisville, Baylor. Uh, Michigan State uh, of recent vintage, and uh, who would be in the other one? Um, who who would be in the who who's the sta- most scandalous team Bang. of the top <laughs> of the top right? Uh, top right. Um, it's Michigan. There's no one particularly scandalous uh, in this whole region. Duke, <laughs> Seth Allen. It, oh, Grayson, Grayson, Grayson Allen. Allen. Sorry, it would be Duke just based on uh, they. They'd be like they'd be like the weird moral team, which would be rough, uh, and none of us want that. No. So yeah, that's probably what that would that's what would be forced uh, forced upon the rest of the country. Is oh, you're gonna root for Baylor over Duke? Really? You are? Okay. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. I know Grayson trips of people, but uh, okay, I see. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Um... Dan, I, I think we're. I think that does it for this week. Yes, yes. Hopefully, we uh, get back to uh, good weird Syracuse season versus this week of uh, more of a down part of the weird Syracuse season. Agreed, agreed. Uh, so this has been Troy Noon's Napoli Podcast. 
that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on any other service you may use, and go orange. Go orange. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.